Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining the weekly review of the news. And I'm happy that Alistair Doyle is joining us again uh, today as a co-host. And I just found out how to promote him to moderator. Uh, that is the kind of promotions you can give on call in. And like my other podcast, which is called The Planet, and like The Planet newsletter, which I hope that you will subscribe to, we have a focus here on news about our planet, all forms of life on Earth, or how uh, the choices that we as humans make influence the climate and nature. And from that angle, uh, we also touch on all kinds of other rel- related developments like science, sustainability, green technology, innovation, or simply fun news that we would like to share with you. And that has nothing to do with the planet, but it's just fun to mention. On the other show, uh, the Planet Podcast, you will find interviews with experts. So last week, we had the former Undersecretary General of the United Nations and the former UNEP Chief Eric Solheim. And last Monday, I interviewed the famous climate scientist Michael E. Mann. And you can find these podcasts and many others on uh, the callin.com website or in your app uh, on your iPhone, and the same app will later this month also be available for Android phones. Um, before we start, I have some important news uh, on the platform that we use, CallIn. As you know, CallIn is, is new. It only started last September. There's not too many people on it yet, but it is rapidly growing, and it keeps also rapidly launching all kinds of updates and especially new possibilities. And a very important one that we've been waiting for was launched today that you can listen live on the website. And I hope that some of you are already doing that as I speak. Uh, Until today, you could only listen live on the iPhone app. But then once the podcast was published afterwards, and that's the unique thing of call-in, anyone could listen to the published podcast on the call-in website. So whatever device that you were using, and that's callin.com. But... Starting today, uh, an update of last night, actually, is that whether you use a desktop or an iPhone or an Android device, you can listen live. Uh, Asking questions is still only possible for iPhone users. Uh, But I'm sure it's just a matter of time before that is solved. And I understand that it's already later this month that the call-in app will be launched for Android phones. So we make rapid progress with this app and i believe it has the potential to grow really really big um so uh we can ask questions at the end uh, if we um uh, you can ask questions uh, in the end if we still have time uh, for that i guess we will uh, but at a certain moment we have to uh, close down uh, in about 40 minutes uh, from now because we both have all kinds of other appointments and i think uh, 40 minutes or so is a good time for a podcast like this. If you believe differently, just let us know. You can always reach us. The easiest is probably uh, by Twitter. But there is also, uh, like in any kind of good modern social media, there is uh, on the app uh, a messaging uh, possibility, which is, of course, uh, an envelope. So if you um, uh, look for either me or Alistair, uh, you can just send a message on anything that you want to say about the show, new subjects that you want to mention or whether you want it longer or shorter or a different approach, or if you believe that I am talking way too long, which I'm doing right now. Alistair, uh, over to you. I I believe we're now in the year of the tiger. Is that right? 
That's right, indeed, Alex. Thanks for having me back. Uh, great to be promoted as well. Thanks for that honor. Um, uh, yeah, so this is the, from February the 1st, it's the Lunar New Year, and we're entering the Year of the Tiger under the, under the Chinese zodiac signs. You know, these are the 12 animals that go around, rotate, you know, the rat, the ox, the rabbit, the dragon, the snake, the horse, the goat, the monkey, and so on. Um, they rotate every year, and um, this year it's, it's kind of strange. We've got a nice positive conservation story that's been inspired by astrology. You know, it's not often that astrology um, influences the survival of a species, but I suspect it is this year because um, tiger numbers have been rising in the last few years. You know, they, that's, that's, that's a, as the conservationists are calling it, an amazing, largely untold story. Um, places like northeast China, you know, have more than 50 wild tigers when 20 years ago there was just a handful. You know, they've gone from tigers worldwide in the wide, in the wild, have gone to, there are now about 4,500 tigers against uh, 3,900 back in 2016. So the, the numbers are, are rising. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, again with astrology, it's 12 years ago in the last year of the tiger, the tiger, the countries where tigers live, you know, all the way from India across to China through Myanmar and Southeast Asia, um, they had set a goal of doubling the tiger numbers. Um, then there were 3,200. So, you know, we're up at four, four and a half thousand. It's fallen a bit short, but we're going in the right direction, which is okay, good. Okay, well, I hope that in, in 12 years from now that you and I are still on this show and still talk about tigers and that there's then... Uh, so many that uh, that uh, that we couldn't imagine that there were once that little. I saw on social media that many people used this as as an opportunity to post pictures of their cats. I forgot to do that with uh, our um, uh, uh, Luna that I often uh, put on social media. But I saw that uh, Stephen Ramage, who will join us next week on Friday to talk about how Earth observation by satellites can help us uh, on on uh, things like climate change or monitoring forest and biodiversity and agriculture, he had this spectacular-looking white cat uh, that he uh, published, and I retweeted it. Um, so uh, anyone who follows him on Twitter or follows me on Twitter uh, can look at this uh, beautiful cat. But uh, we were talking about tigers, and in all honesty, his tiger is not a real tiger. It's white and fluffy and beautiful. Um, but... How how many are there uh, actually uh, in the world? Because you spoke about how many tigers yeah. are there left in, uh, in 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 the wild, but there's also a lot of tigers in captivity, I suppose. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's strange that you have more tigers in captivity than you do in the wild. Both in the United States, of course, where Tiger King, you know, Netflix's docu series, of course, roaring ho ho with uh, popularity. Um, but there, there is this sad truth behind all of the, this facade of, um, you know, Tiger King and people petting tigers as if they're pets, you know. Um, um, sadly, you know, captive tigers in the United States are, are a real problem. Um, and, and in China, too, where they're, they're raised in farms. Um, so that it's, we've got, you know, four and a half thousand, according to the latest data in the wild, but there are 5,000 tigers in captivity in the United States, more than in the wild alone. And most of them are kind of privately owned, um, living in sort of Tiger King uh, establishments, sort of kind of oh, many in people's backyards or roadside attractions and private breeding facilities. 
So, you know, only 6% people reckon of these of the U.S. captive tiger population are in zoos or other facilities, you know, properly accredited places. Other ones are just sort of, I mean, I don't know why anybody would want to keep a tiger in their backyard. Um, I'm certainly not going to do it. I find it our neighbor has a, ti- has, has a tiger, has a pet cat that comes across to our house in Oslo when it gets very cold and it doesn't want to sleep outside at night. It comes knocking on our door and we let it in and feed it. So, but but I, I can't imagine how, how do people do that? Because uh, uh, my little Luna is sometimes already a challenge, but how do you take care of a tiger? Uh, in, in your backyard, something, and then you you give it food in the morning, and you cuddle with the tiger. How 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 do people do this? Do they are they trained for this? I guess so. Many of just aren't properly trained. I mean, look, even looking at Tiger King in there, you know, some people were terribly maimed by tigers. These things, you know, tigers are, are not, <laughs> you know, do not do this at home. Um, basically, um, the, you know, that they are. People are not trained to do this. There's no real accredited training, and these poor animals can be vulnerable to mistreatment and exploitation. You know, and some of these facilities allow you to have public contact with the tigers, like they do on Tiger King, where you have a nice little, furry little cub. But they're they're just not. You know, after they grow up and they become a bit more ferocious, they're more than a handful. Um, but they have this sort of fascination with people, don't they? I, I can remember as a journalist. Um, 12 years ago, or the last year of the tiger, covering a story about a tiger cub that was smuggled by a woman in Thailand at Bangkok airport. She was caught because she had a big bag stuffed full of um, tiger toys, look-alike tiger, tiger soft toys. But within this bag of, you know, let's say 10 tiger toys, there was a real tiger cub. And of course, when it went through the census, they noticed. I don't know, they either x-rayed it and they saw bones suddenly in the middle of these cuddly toys or they saw some heat detection from it. And, of course, luckily they managed to arrest her because um, tiger, you know, the tiger trade um, is uh, severely illegal. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what, a, yeah. what a story. <laughs> But this is this is so sad, I mean, how people treat wildlife. And, and uh, I, I hear that in China... It's like some some seven or eight thousand tigers that are that are kept in facilities in, in countries like China and Thailand and uh, Vietnam. And I saw yesterday this campaign and uh, and and a picture about it was a picture of a tiger in China that was completely drugged and 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 hardly awake. And then then people hitting the tiger and trying to look brave on their Instagram pictures by 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 just hitting a tiger that is absolutely incapable of defending itself because it's just been drugged and that is the kind of animal abuse that that is so sad to see and it makes it strange to celebrate the year of the tiger but it's maybe a good moment to ask attention uh, for these uh, these kind of abuses um but the numbers are growing numbers are growing in china which is a positive story about china and as as you know i'm always a bit puzzled about china because there's so many positive and so many negative stories Um, that it's 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 a fascinating country to follow for anybody who's interested in the environment. Uh, we heard a lot of the positive stories recently when uh, when Eric uh, was was joining us in uh, in the Planet podcast. Um, but there was also 
good news this week about discovering new animals. Uh, there was this review of WWF, what we used to call the World Wildlife Fund, but I think they now prefer to be called just WWF. And they went to the, the greater Mekong region again, as they've done many times before. And they found in this research 224 new species, which is an incredible uh, uh, large number for one survey. Um, uh, that included uh, a new species of monkey. I saw the picture with big white circles around the eyes. And uh, uh, there was also this bright orange snake that uh, feeds on slugs. So it's it's kind of French escargot-loving snake, I would say. Uh, did you hear anything about uh, this development? <laughs> yeah, that was, it was an extraordinary story, isn't it? 224 new species just in, it's a big area, of course, but you know, there's a lot of people living there and you'd think they'd have bumped into them before and recognized them as species. And the, the primate, the monkey, has been called the Popa Langur. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, because it lives on the slopes of the extinct Mount Popa volcano in Myanmar. Um, scientists said, you know, the course this discovery is bittersweet because it's, it's, there aren't very many of them left. I mean, the wonderful discovery to find a primate, it's very rare to find a new primate, especially one with circles around its eyes, like a wannabe panda. Um, it looks like it's cousins but, um, who are similar, but scientists said, you know, things like the length of its tail, the shape of its skull, they decided it's a new species. They were comparing it with other um, monkeys from the region that have been caught in, in collections, um, you know, from dozens, hundreds of years, a hundred years ago. I felt kind of sorry for this snake. You know, it's called the bright orange twin slug snake. I mean, if I was a snake, I wouldn't want to be called a slug. <laughs> it's, like you said, it's because it's what it what it eats. But you know, it's like comparing Usain Bolt to a to a tortoise. You know, somehow it's, it's just not. I'd be really insulted if I was this snake and had slug in my name. <laughs> and you know, the um, you know, there's lots of other animals they've identified here as new species: reptiles, frogs, newts, and fish and 155 varieties of plants. So, you know, this is a, this is a big area um, this, this conservation survey is covered from Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, Myanmar. There's also tigers there and Asian elephants, um, all sorts of rare species. There's a saola um, called the Asian unicorn, um, spindlehorn as well, and thousands of other already recognized species. But, you know, they've, they've discovered 3,000 species in this region since 1997, according to WWF, which I always find difficult to say with two Ws there. Um, but, but, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's an extraordinarily rich um, biodiversity region there. Um, but, of course, in, in, in extraordinary need of protection, um, as the group says, um, of this report. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's uplifting news. But, of course, all these... All these they all have, they're all living in um, sort of shrinking habitats, aren't they? They're being pushed out. Yeah, that's the sad story. It's so often that when they find a new species, which are, you know, if it would be a cow or a sheep, they would have found it already. So they, they are rare species. And, and so often you see that when a new species is discovered, they kind of immediately put it on the list of, of endangered species. And uh, I understand in this case that they were using camera traps that they set in the mountains uh, to uh, 
to to discover uh, the monkey, and they actually managed to take at least one very good picture that I that I saw in in an article this week. And um, but it's it is this Popa Lagur is now uh, a candidate for an official listing as critically endangered species, which, if I'm not mistaken, is on on uh, the IUCN red list, uh, the most. Um, uh, the most vulnerable type of of, um, of of species that that you can be, you can be endangered, and you can be critically endangered. That is something like uh, the northern white rhino, uh, uh, for for which there's only two females left, uh, and there's zero hope of hardly any hope of um, reproducing there. Um, and so for for this Papa Langur, there was about. 200 or 250 that they guess that are still around. So if you would do a lot of protection and, and, and make sure that they are undisturbed, there could be a bit of hope uh, for this monkey. And um, it, uh, the, the, you see the urgency is, is the fact that uh, more than 38,000 out of the 138,000 species that the UN currently tracks are are now threatened with extinction, which is what is it like thirty percent or so? That is that is huge. And yeah, um, yeah what other? We, we we're yeah. stuck here with animal news. Are, are there more animals <laughs> to discuss right. today? There are, there are some more animals as well. I think. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Extinction. Well, extinction is forever, as the scientists often say. You know, it's just that's the end of the road. Of course, there is extinct in the wild is one of these categories on the red list as well, which means that. You're just surviving in zoos. You're holding on by the, you know, the, your fingertips just about before you're wiped out. Um, and extinction's terrible for, of course, many reasons. But you know, there's one maybe selfish reason is that we don't know what we're losing. We're losing species before we've even tracked tracked them. There are there are creatures and plants in the Amazon that could hold all sorts of secrets to to medical cures of all sorts of could be a vast help to us in the pharmaceutical energy in, industry and so on for helping solve our own problems. And there was a, there was this interesting story I guess you saw as well about the king baboon spider. Um, this is a spider that lives in um, that causes extreme pain if you get bitten by it. You're not going to die from it generally, but because they've dis- discovered the amount of pain that this bite causes, it might help pinpoint why humans experience chronic pain and then perhaps help how to how to treat it so so yeah um this 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 king baboon spider um is a type of african tarantula it's just a rusty brown orange spider when it's not lethal but it, it bite leaves a sharp burning ache um but with this silver lining potentially you know it, it, it spends most of its life underground, happily minding its own business, sort of trapping insects, eating insects. But the researchers sought to find out why why its bite causes such severe pain. This this spider, I looked it up, it's about, I don't know, it's about the size of 20 centimeters across. That's, I guess, about the size of my hand. um, That's huge. I've seen pictures of it. Well, not this one, but of tarantulas. You don't want to find them in your house or in your bedroom. (laughs) You don't, yeah, you don't want to put one on your hand to sort of measure how big it is, yeah. <laughs> but, but these scientists in this study 
found that the venom seems to induce something called hyperexcitability in nerve cells called, now I'm not sure how to pronounce this one either, nociceptors, I think. Is that right? Yeah, that's how I would pronounce it. Nociceptors, which in turn cause this extreme pain that people experience when they're bitten. And then they've seen the same similar activity in the neurons that the brain cell the people with chronic pain who have nerve damage. So if we can understand how this hyperexcitability works by, by studying the, the, the venom of this, um, of this um, king baboon spider, doctors might be able to work out how to better treat this type of chronic pain. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, this is a reason to help preserve even things that are going to cause us pain can cause us um, very big benefits in the long term if we can figure out exactly how it works. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. Well, it's a good argument, uh, one on top of all the other many arguments we already have to preserve the beauty of nature, to preserve the biodiversity and, and that we, we should just do better in the world. And yeah, one, one of them is, is our own healthcare. It's also for uh, finding uh, new kinds of antibiotics, for instance. And uh, there's there's just so much that we don't know yet. And that makes it so sad that when we discover a new form of life that we immediately have to start protecting it because otherwise it's going to be wiped out by just humans that need more space, which is often the case. Cities are expanding and agriculture is expanding and forests are cut and uh, biodiversity is is really at threat, and that is, uh, I think, next to climate change, the loss of biodiversity is is the story of this century. That is, um, it, it it often gets a bit less attention, unfortunately, than climate change, but it's it's just as important. And at the same time, we see the enormous progress that scientists can make. I, I was I was reading yesterday about. Um, this this uh, new technology that they're using to make uh, the vaccine against um, against COVID uh, now during the the, the pandemic pandemic this uh, mRNA technique um, that uh, first people the experts didn't believe in and then there was this uh, uh, couple uh, in 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 Germany that kept on working on this issue and then when the pandemic broke out it suddenly was that this little fringe research that they were doing uh, where nobody believed in is the thing that is saving now millions and millions of lives all over the world. And now this technique is going to be used and is extremely promising for all kinds of other diseases. And you could finally have an HIV vaccine that is now theoretically possible there's quite promising news around it so in the western world where there's often enough money we can now keep people alive that are uh, hiv infected but having a vaccine and just protect people against it that is uh, opens enormously uh, new possibilities so that's that's fascinating um let's move from from uh, we did we did animals we did research um but there's trees. I go back to you. How, how many species of trees do we have on the earth? Because I know that you have the, those data for me. <laughs> I've been looking them up, yeah. So there are an estimated 
it's not just sort of oak trees and pine trees and uh, chestnut trees that are the ones that I can recognize, but there are an estimated 73,300 species of tree on Earth, um, 9,000 of which have yet to be discovered. That's kind of a, an interesting finding here that, you know, the predicting the number that still have to be discovered. It's a bit like the previous one where we're talking about the, the monkey that's been found, you know, who, how many different types of monkeys still are left to be discovered in the world. So this is a this is a global count of tree species by thousands of researchers. You know they've they went around ninety countries co collecting information on thirty eight million trees. Sometimes plodding for days, walking around, camping in remote places to find them. Um, so that's fourteen percent more than previously thought. Um, I don't know what are your thoughts about this 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 story, Alex? You know they they found a. a a third of the undiscovered tree species will be very rare, of course, uh, inevitably. They're not going to be on every street corner if they haven't yet been discovered, I guess. So th they can, uh, again, be um, vulnerable to extinction, as with pretty much everything we've been discussing so far today. It's, it's, these are both yeah. sort of uplifting stories, and yet a little depressing, aren't they, like you've said? Yeah, it, it, it reminds me when one day I was in Australia in somewhere in, uh, in the southeastern part uh, where... Um, in, in the place where last summer and also the summer before there were these massive forest fires. Um, but luckily just outside of that area at this secret location, I think it's somewhere in the Blue Mountains, where they discovered, I don't know, a few decades ago, I think, um, unique trees that were actually the oldest uh, species of trees on the earth that is still around. That was... I don't. I think it's from hundreds of millions of years ago, or 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 maybe even more. And everybody had thought they were completely extinct because they uh, we we knew them from fossil samples. Uh, but then they 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 found it back. And there's when researchers there's only very few people that really know where they are. It is a, a secret. When researchers go there that don't know the location, they are blindfolded. Uh, when they are flown there by by helicopter, and they're very much afraid that if it is disclosed in this this small valley where these trees are, uh, that all kinds of collectors will go there and and cut down uh, the trees. And there's um, a, a uh, I, I, that that reminds me of the destruction that uh, collectors can create of this crazy story of. Uh, that there's a fly and the poor fly was discovered in the 1930s as a species and uh, by some kind of Nazi that was a big fan of Adolf Hitler and he called this fly after Adolf Hitler. Now, it's a, a rather rare species, only living in, in, in one place, I've, I, I've forgotten where, but somewhere in Europe. And um, now all kinds of neo-Nazis that not only love uh, fascism, um, but they also love flies, they go now to hunt down this fly, I would say in true Nazi fashion, uh, and uh, and it's now nearly extinct um, <laughs> be, because these, these people want a fly that is called after Adolf Hitler. How crazy can you be? Um, oh, wow. So... Um, yeah, so that's that's a drifting away from trees to flies, but this story yeah. suddenly popped up in my mind. And you, once I you read remind, it, it was crazy. You, you remind me of a story I remember one of my colleagues covering in at Reuters when I worked there about 
how the, in Germany they planted a, a plantation of trees that were slightly that were very dark canopies and lighter canopies, and they planted them several decades ago so that they actually made a, a Nazi cross that you could only oh see God. from above because the lighter trees or the darker trees made a contrast and you could see the, the cross there. And of course then I think they went around and cut them down, which is a bit of a shame because you know you could only see them from above and but I, I could you know the symbolism is, was too powerful. I think you couldn't you couldn't <laughs> leave them in place. <laughs> well you I'm don't want to fly it. over Germany and see and see swastikas, but the problem right. the problem then is probably that if you cut down the darker trees and uh, and plant new ones, then you still get the same contrast but the other way around. So <laughs> yeah. likely you have to yeah. cut down the complete forest <laughs> to get rid right. of this. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, so Nazism destroys more than, uh, than, than, uh, than democracy and people, but, uh, can, can even destroy nature. Um, so let's always be aware, uh, of, uh, fascism rising up again. And, uh, unfortunately we, we see those, those trends, but this is not a political news broadcast because don't get me started on, um, on political trends in the world now, because then I would speak way too long. Um, and, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so we were on, 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 on trees, uh, yeah, on, on that one, uh, I remember reading that the, the highest diversity of trees is actually in the Amazon basin. Not completely surprisingly, I would say, but they have like, uh, 200 tree spe- species per hectare, uh, uh, hectare. So that is, if you take an area of 100 per 100 meters, right? That is, uh, then you have 200 different trees there. Imagine that if you walk in a forest in Norway or in England or let's say anywhere in, in Europe, um, this is such a rich diversity. That, that is, that is amazing. So, uh, an extra, uh, argument for, uh, for taking special care of, of, of the Amazon and also the, um, carbon, carbon capture uh, capability of the forest is much higher in those warm and, and wet environments uh, as as the Amazon than if we plant uh, trees in Europe, uh, which we are doing because we have planted now about the size of Portugal on uh, trees all over Europe. So that's uh, that's a positive uh, story. What else do we have for Great, this broadcast? We have, we have carbon footprints. We, we we you promised me you were going to talk about carbon footprints. It is yours. Carbon footprint. <laughs> it was um, this is a a report this week about the fact of comparing carbon footprints around the world of each person's carbon emissions over the course of a year, and they've they it works out the sort of inequality of how you know rich countries our carbon footprints in in rich countries um, dwarfs those of uh, people in the poorest countries. You know we burn our way through. Um, carbon, uh, using fossil fuels, burning coal, oil, gas, whatever. Um, and this, these, these researchers, um, compared the amount that, um, an African, somebody living in Africa or in a developing country would have to burn before they match their annual emissions, match those of an American. So an American, um, by the 1st of January will use as much carbon uh, sorry, a pup, somebody living in the Democratic Republic of Congo will have used as, mu- as much carbon in, in, in one, 
their yearly use of carbon, I'm getting this a bit confused, <laughs> their yearly use of carbon in one day is equivalent to, in, in, in one year is equivalent to an American's use in one day. So an uh, American will be burning 15 tons or more of carbon in, in a year. And in, a, in many of these developing countries, Malawi, Sudan, Afghanistan, they're burning just a few tens of kilos of carbon in a year. So, so in other words, you need uh, 365 people in Sudan or Malawi uh, and, and they together produce as much uh, CO2, the, the, the main greenhouse gas, as uh, as one American, American which is yeah. which is interesting uh, any time that let's say uh, the, the delegates sit together in COP twenty seven and that they are saying uh, if then the Western nations say we're all in this together uh, we should we should all make an effort I can imagine that if you represent Sudan that you may not yes but that you then look at uh, the delegations of the western countries and give them a friendly nod and uh, after you yeah. guys these countries are not contributing to climate change in any real way compared to what we are and then there's also a huge controversy in, in climate diplomacy of how do you count you know how do we count emissions you know our emissions are much much higher than those of developing countries But China's emissions have risen to be per capita pretty much higher than those of the European Union. But then they say, well, no, you have to look at historic emissions too. You know, you guys have been producing carbon since the Industrial Revolution back in the 18th century. You've got to take that into account as well. But, but this study looked at, um, you know, this carbon calendar so that by, you know, by the end of the month, um, the an American... Uh, Somebody in Lesotho, Paraguay, Cabo Verde, Guatemala, El Salvador will have, will have produced um, in a whole year less carbon than an American will have used by that date in the year. Yeah. So you can, project, you can project this. You know, if an American on average is um, more than 15 tons of carbon dioxide per capita, then by, I worked it out, by February the 12th, the average Indian person in India has produced, um, uh, by February the 12th, the average Indian, the, the, the average American um, has, has um, uh, they've already reached, the average Indian's annual consumption has reached what an American will burn um, by, by February the 12th. Yeah. Are, so, there, are there countries that are actually uh, worse than the United States? The very few. There are very few. I think Australia is slightly worse than the Americans, um, and but there are a few Gulf states, um, uh, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, especially. Qatar always seems to hit the hit the hit the top on these carbon on these carbon statistics. You know, they, they produce more than double the amount of, of of the average American. So that an American would actually have to live for two years of emissions before it reached what actually Qataris um, produce. Um, because they're, they're 32 tons of carbon dioxide mm. per year. Don't tell the Americans, because then this this will motivate them to burn twice <laughs> as much to be to beat Qatar. Um, yeah, and of course, uh, Qatar is uh, is is also providing an, an uh, enormous amount of uh, gas uh, to the rest of the world that they are not burning. That actually we are burning because we buy it uh, from them, and uh, and of course those states are uh, it's so hot there and it's getting hotter and hotter they're also impacted by the climate change 
um, that yeah. they need enormous amounts of energy to to cool down. But I think in in Abu Dhabi, which uh, which also has one of the biggest uh, carbon footprints in the world, they are uh, now massively investing in solar panels, which is um, there's always a bit of a silver lining in a negative story, so that's uh, there isn't that's, yeah, exactly. that they do so. And I think that many of these countries um, really recognise that the heat is getting is really rising in 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 the Gulf states there as well. They're they're, they're really suffering from the heat, and um, they need to you know they have solar solar power is on their doorsteps, and of course it it helps them to if you produce more solar power in Saudi Arabia, you know it, it helps you reach your carbon goals unfortunately also leaves more oil for export um so yeah. you know, it's sort of <laughs> another roundabouts here aren't they yeah. <laughs> it's part of their motivation i fear <laughs> yeah that's true we will hear a lot of qatar when uh when they're playing the world championship football there in um in in the cool season which is still extremely hot in uh, what is the november or the so cool that they're playing november. it's a little bit cooler by then isn't it yeah luckily rather than the middle of the summer then which um they do have sort of air conditioning in the stadiums, don't they? And even they have air conditioning going down to the beaches there in some of yeah, the resorts. Yeah, it's, uh, really yeah, yeah, and it's 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 quite amazing what's happening in those countries. Yeah. Um, we we had news as well talking talking about oil and gas. Uh, there was positive news that uh, the the federal judge in in the U.S. Uh, has now uh, decided that those uh, oil and gas leases in the Gulf of Mexico, these are massive, I think, among among the biggest uh, of the U.S. ever, um, have to, have now been uh, been cancelled, and that is so. Uh, the 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 judge invalidated uh, this enormous oil and gas sale. We talk about eighty million acres in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, uh, it, it was a coalition of environmental groups that sued the Biden administration to stop it. And um, uh, it, it, you talk about 1.7 million acres of oil and gas leases. And um, the, the, the Biden administration, when they came, came in on the 20th of January, already in, the, in their very first days in office, they they promised that they would they would try to put a stop on, on new oil and gas drilling. Um, already after one week in office, Biden signed an executive order that paused new permits, and, and he also directed the Department of the Interior to launch a rigorous review, as he called it, of the existing programs. And then there was a first lawsuit uh, that followed two months later, which was on behalf of 13 states, um, uh, they always love this number of 13 states in the US and that led to a judgment of the federal court in Louisiana um, that uh, that that blocked the pause that Biden had decided as soon as he came in into office and then the sale went forward in November and uh, then the administration officials of the Biden administration they uh, they admitted openly. They said that this sale is completely at odds with with the climate goals, and they said, "Well, our hands are tied because this was um, a a uh, a judge in Louisiana that has decided this." And now, the interesting thing is that then you got this this second court case, which was then started from environmental uh, groups 
and that was at a federal level at the U.S. District Court in, in, in Colombia. And that said that the lease was invalid uh, because the analysis that was made by the Department of the Interior did not fully take into account uh, the, the climate impacts of the leases. And I think that is really, really promising news that you now see this trend worldwide where um, it's not the traditional oil industry going to court as soon as they don't get what they want, which is burning more oil, um, but that now environmental groups all over the world are suing either the government or they are suing uh, businesses uh, because they say we have to think about the climate impacts. And now that a federal judge in the U.S., has said that uh, if the Department of the Interior uh, does not include climate impacts of the lease in their own analysis, then you just you 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 can't just sell off something that is ruining the environment without even taking the effort of thinking about what that is doing to the planet. And I think this is really really a very important uh, decision in the U.S. And yeah, I, I, I guess Biden is actually happy with this, right? I, I think Biden's secretly, well, not secretly, but openly happy with this. It, it clearly helps him achieve his goals of halving U.S. emissions this, this decade, um, which has been in trouble for a lot, a lot of the time. But this type of decision where if you're going to be forced to take climate concerns much more seriously, then, you know, the oil industry is going to be in trouble, isn't it? Um, the, there's this huge sort of um, surge in climate legislation in, in the United States with people taking states and the government to court for, for all sorts of things at the moment. You know, the there's, you know, I like the ones that are about, I'm fascinated by the ones that are about the U.S. Constitution where, you know, the U.S. 14th Amendment sort of says that no state, for example, shall deprive any person of life, liberty or property without due process of law. Now, you can say that, you know, things like sea level rise are depriving people of property. And therefore, you would, you know, if you're living yeah. by the coast in Florida and your, your house is being flooded, then you know you are being deprived of property um, by the actions of the state by failing to um, yeah. to rein in greenhouse gas emissions. This hasn't actually got very far yet in the courts, but you know sooner or later, perhaps um, you know states are going to be under pressure to take yeah. much more um, account of environmental climate concerns, aren't they? Yeah, we got quite far in the Netherlands where this this worldwide trend uh, actually started by. Uh, suing the Netherlands government that it was not doing for its citizens what it was supposed to do by by the constitution. And now they've been suing Shell as well. And in both cases, uh, the people won. And, uh, and, and, and you could say the planet won. Uh, and, and, and not, uh, vested, uh, business interest or short-sighted, uh, government interest. That's fascinating. I'm looking at the yeah. clock and I know that you've got to go. But I see a note here uh, that you and I were going to talk about whales. Let's quickly do the whales, Let's do some whales and then I'll right? let you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. I mean, uh, this whale, the whaling stories have been fascinating this week. You know, I, I thought especially there was a, these stories about how scientists have documented that orcas or killer whales can f take on blue whales. You know, they, they've documented off Australia the, um, off, um, in 2019 orcas, a pod of orcas, these huge, these large sort of whales taking on a, a blue whale, the largest creature ever to have lived. You know, this makes things like Jurassic Park 
looked like sort of a little fight in the in the um, in the in a schoolyard to me. It looks like a sort of child's play compared to what these orcas did to a blue whale. This 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 whale was sort of seventy feet long, an enormous great thing. And you m- imagine, you know, this pod of orcas, these um, coming up and biting it, ramming into it, and somehow. You know the the way they did it, I think, was to was to bite its its flippers, its tail fins, and therefore you kind of disable it, and this ended up in a gory sort of bloody um, battle between this whale trying to escape and the and the orcas. Um, but but it, you know it ends up with the they mentioned that the orcas um, bite the tongue of the whale. Apparently, this must be oh one of the God. tastiest bits of. This is. Of a I'm whale glad they didn't film this. At least, it's, I, it's I, pretty gruesome. This is what, yeah. a, what a horrible story. I'm, but I I'm a vegetarian, but, so I have not much sympathy yeah, for yeah. these orcas. I must say. But, no, but a, you know, a, a whale's tongue is sort of the size of an elephant, which is just extraordinary. Yeah. But the scientists take some um, took some uh, positive news out of this as well, actually, because they said that. The fact that you have enough orcas in the sea and that whales are reaching, reaching maturity um, is probably a good sign. This is the way that the, the ocean should be functioning. This is probably the way it functioned for an awful long time before we, we drove whales close to extinction by hunting them. Um, yeah. And then back in the 80s, there was this uh, moratorium on whaling by the International Whaling um, Commission, uh, which has uh, meant that around the world to humpback whales... Uh, blue whales, all sorts of whales are recovering. The populations are recovering. So this is a gory, very gory <laughs> observation they've done of um, orcas taking on uh, whales. But uh, still, it's, you know, that may be the way that, unfortunately, you know, <laughs> nature nature just is that way, isn't it? This is Nature this works, is we yes, celebrate. well. And, Nature's and at work. At least these orcas uh, need it, unlike uh, the Japanese whalers that are uh, are still massively whaling against uh, 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 against all regulations and norms and morality in the world, and uh, and 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 then saying that it's for uh, academic research, whereas you can just. Eat whale meat uh, in in any restaurant in uh, in in Japan, um, and yeah. that is absolutely unnecessary, and and uh, it 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 shouldn't be done. I think that's 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 really disastrous. Uh, also, the way that they are still hunting dolphins, and uh, uh, well, there's a few other countries too, but I think Japan is is well, uh, a world leader in. Uh, in this aspect, and I think Iceland is a positive story. It's kind of moving out now. Yeah, well, Norway, where I live, actually, they hunt whales. Um, they've, of course, been hiding behind, they hid behind um, this uh, scientific whaling, which they could do for research, but then they broke with that, and they said, no, we're doing commercial whaling. But the, the parliament in Norway set a goal of hunting uh, 2,000 whales a year, um, 20 years ago, perhaps, I think now, Um and they've never come close to it. People don't people don't eat whale meat anymore. Um, they've gone on that they people sort of associate whale meat with wartime austerity. I think it's old people who maybe like it. They sort of think back to the days when they didn't have anything else to meet to eat. And now, you know, the variety of things you can eat. The Norwegian salmon industry, for example, people I think prefer eating salmon than whales. So that the whalers, even though they're given a quota every year of catching. Uh, I think 1,200, I think it is, more or less, minke whales, which is a small species of whale. 
that they they only catch a, a quarter of that quota often every year. There's just not the there's just not the market for it any longer. Yeah. It for me any story I always hear about uh, the positive stories on sustainability and and environment etc. Norway, I can never read them without thinking about whaling, and I always think as long as they do whaling in Norway, I. I just I just don't get the other stories. As long as they keep pumping that much oil, that's another one. So Norway is a, is a special case. But I know the country is dear to your heart. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful country, and I, I I love all the Norwegians that I've ever met in my life. But I think this aspect is something where I've tried to talk about it with Norwegians, but somehow they claim that that. Um, uh, your argument is purely emotional. I say, yes, it's emotional. Why are you killing those beautiful animals? Uh, well, yeah. you can just, you know, there's there's so much good other food. Anyway, I know that I have to let you go because then otherwise you're too late uh, for your uh, your next appointment. Um, what I can do if people have quest- questions, opening up for questioning and, and let let you go, or shall we just say everybody should just come back next week and then uh, then ask their questions? Maybe that's a better one. I'm sure I can stay around for a few more minutes, actually, Alex. I can okay. Run well, if, so, okay, if anybody, any yeah, if anybody has a question, and unfortunately, uh, the people that are. Uh, Listening now, and I understand now where the others come from on my app that I never saw before. That's those people uh, that are listening um, live on the website. Those people cannot yet ask questions, but that will soon be solved as well, especially if you have an Android phone, phone because then later this month you can just uh, do it on the app. Um, but if anybody else has a question, you can do it right now. And if you don't, um, you just have to press the Phone button. Nobody does that. So you're off the hook, Alistair. Um, you can go. I'm going to close down. Thanks so much, all of you, for listening. Are we back next week on Thursday? We didn't discuss so. that yeah. yet. Yeah, would that work? Love I'm it. here as well. Please. We're both here, same time, same place. And I hope that you will join again. Thanks so much uh, for listening. And if you have any comments, you can always write in the app or you can write emails or you can uh, uh, you can direct message on Twitter and thanks for all the clapping. Uh, this app is actually counting your clapping. So anybody clapping now, they are still <laughs> counted. Okay, Alistair, enjoy your time on your secret hiding place where I was uh, I was calling you uh, uh, this time. And see you back next week. Bye, everybody. Thanks a lot, Alex. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah.